0: Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Here as in Heaven, we'll be looking at how God's promises can give us hope for our hurts. Our speaker today is Senior Minister Evie Bacon. I want to let everyone know, moms, if you hadn't noticed this, we have some photo booth opportunities, so drag the kids, go and get a picture. And uh, we'll take a picture and we'll post it on our Facebook social media channel, And uh, everyone can ooh and ah and like it and all that fun stuff, make comments as they do, and enjoy that. If you'd like a copy, just ask them, see what we can do to do that. Also, there's a gift there for you, moms, so be sure to pick that up, a way of just uh, appreciating you on this special day. Gifts are important. came across an article about uh, some kids that didn't necessarily get the gifts correctly, uh, according to a British survey, 40% of moms have received gifts that would be considered not too good for Mother's Day, but they're just too polite to complain. Here's what they shared gifts not to give your mom. Number one, deodorant. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I, there's no words. How do you say? how you can explain that here, Mom? Deodorant. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else? I got. One guy, well, I don't know if it's a guy, but it probably was a guy. Let's just be honest. It was a son. gave his mom a fire extinguisher. I don't know why, but <laughs> there we go. A stick of French bread. We've got one of those. Now, this is the strangest one. Uh, one of the gifts to, for moms was ants. I guess for an ant farm for mom, but he uh, gave his mom ants. Now, this kid, child, not sure, was playing with his or her life as far as I'm concerned, but this was uh, the gift to mom not to be given, hair dye. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to do that, or you might, and just see how fast mom still is, or good at throwing. So we continue on in our series, Heroes in Heaven, let me, let me continue on with a, another interesting article that I came upon in my research. came across the story of an Israeli man who petitioned for a restraining order against God, May of 2016. The plaintiff, identified as Mr. David Shoshan, represented himself in court in Haifa, port city north uh, of Israel report noted that God was not present there to defend himself. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Shoshan told the court that God had been treating him harshly and not nicely, though no specific details were given about what exactly had happened to make him feel this way. Mr. Shoshan explained that he had made several attempts to contact police to report God's alleged crimes against him. Patrol cars had been sent to the house on 10 occasions by which the police, I guess fed up, said Shoshan needs to take it to court and to get a restraining order. The request for a restraining order was denied by the presiding judge, Ashan Kanan, who said the request was delusional and that the petitioner required help from sources outside the court. (laughs) Now, I think we can all agree that this is a little out there, that story. And we might chuckle about how ludicrous it is and how silly it is to try to Put a restraining order on God. But I have to tell you, though, in reading that story and going through just my processing, I began to think about how is it that guy got to the point where he wanted to take out a restraining order against God. And I began to think about his reasons and his feelings, and I thought, you know what? I have to confess, and, and in so honesty, I can get a little bit of that. In the course of my journey of faith, there have been seasons where things have not turned out as I expected and wanted. And as a person of faith, uh, my expectation, God with me, God blesses me, God rewards those who are faithful. I have this feeling, well, if I'm with God, then all things should turn out right and good, and they shouldn't be down times, hard times, disappointing times, difficult times. But let's be honest here. In the course of our lives, we will experience seasons by which we will walk through the valley. A dark time, a burden time. In the course of our lives, we will go through seasons in which we will carry a burden, a burden of sadness, a burden of disillusionment, that maybe we feel like, what did I do wrong, God? How is it that that I can barely get out of bed? How is it that I feel like my prayers are not reaching you? That that though I cry out to you, though I do everything I know to do right, nothing seems to, to fall into place. I'm doing everything correctly, but everything seems to come to me in bad news. How is it, God, that you say you're with me, but I don't feel like you're near me? That I can shake this sadness, this heaviness, this sense that the Clouds are always dark, and there's never any sunshine. As it is in the line in the book, the line in which in the wardrobe, it's always winter, but never Christmas. Now, think about moms. You know, I don't know a mother that does not carry some burden, some guilt. Even the Joan Cleaver perfect moms. Every mom, when you get down to it, has this sense of, I wish I would have, a sense of burden, guilt, sorrow, that when they look back, I wish I would have known this. I wish this wouldn't have happened. I wish I would have been a better mom. And in the course of even doing it correctly, there are seasons in which there are burdens and difficulties and, and, and hardships. That's just the reality. And, and, and that may be confusing because maybe you have in your mind that, that if I'm with God, if I'm doing what's right, if I'm being faithful and doing my best, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't turn out this way. And maybe you're in these seasons, you begin to doubt. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Or maybe I have a sin that I haven't confessed. Or maybe, you know, the devil's just picking on me and the demons are dancing on my bed every day, giving me miserable, making me miserable in life. And we have this thought that if I'm following God, if I'm walking with God, then these seasons of depression, these seasons of struggle, these seasons of walking through the valley of the shadow, however they come, however they, they manifest themselves, and for whatever reason, these are foreign to what I expected my journey of faith to be all about. And it actually makes it worse and perpetuates it, this darkness, when we get into that kind of thinking. Well, I want to tell you today that the good news is that the testimony of Scripture, the testimony of Scripture and the witness of those who followed God by faith contained for us in Scripture is that burdens of depression and seasons of sadness that are extended and heavy is part of the journey of faith that we're on in this world. And the testimony of Scripture is that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... God will be with me. And that there are times that perhaps God will lead me through the valley, through these dark times. Why? Because that is the goal for him to lead us to the place where he wants us to be as his child. But he will never leave us nor forsake us, even though we may not feel he's near. Amen. Psalm 42 we'll talk about the psalms we've been telling going through this whole series here is in heaven dealing with the issues and we can call it issues of of mental health and today we're talking about depression and we've been going to the psalms the psalms are the lyrics literally are the lyrics to worship songs sung by the people of faith the israelites and the psalms are a collection of songs written by different authors a lot of them were written by king david not all of them there's a whole bunch of psalms and they were sung to god in the community of faith when they gathered to worship and in the psalms we have contained for us we have contained for us psalm 42 in Psalm 42, we're told, was written by the sons of Korah. We're not sure who these guys are, but we can guess that they were perhaps the, the musical group, a musical division of Levites that served in the temple. They were kind of like the, the, the worship band. And the Psalm 42 is a song that they write from the perspective of an individual, a worshiper of God, who is separated from being able to worship God because he's unable to get to the temple and offer sacrifice and participate in the worship that's there because he's physically far away from the temple. He's in the northern part of the country. As we go through the psalm, we'll see description of places in the north. And because of the separation, because of this disconnection from his God, he's in a bad way. He's in a condition of depression, carrying the burden of sadness. Sadness. And this song of worship will provide for us perhaps a roadmap that I think is helpful, that is more importantly hopeful for us who are also journeying in faith, journeying in this life. will provide a roadmap that, that will bring us through that season of depression, whether we're going into one or coming in the middle of one or coming out of one, but will provide us a roadmap that I think will, will minister to each of us, if we are able to hear God speak through it. And so follow with me. You can close your your eyes if you want to to let the words create the images. Some of you may have already started closing your eyes uh, at church because I've started to speak. It's just how it is. Uh, Just kidding. Andy, wake up. Anyway. Uh. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Open, God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, So where's your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know, when I was going through the psalm, I have to confess, sometimes I have a difficulty. It's poetry, and uh, my mind is sort of logical, and this is art. But as I was going through there were certain things that really came to me that I'd love to share with you, things that I believe the Lord was speaking through this psalm that answers the question of how to travel through the season, the valley of depression, with God. And the first thing that came to me, the the first reminder here, is that the journey begins coming through the valley of depression, through the valley of darkness. The journey always begins when I make the courageous decision to accept my limitations. That I come to a point where I acknowledge what I can and what I cannot do, what I am responsible for and what I am not responsible for. Notice the singer acknowledges in all openness his struggle, feeling that God has abandoned him, feeling that he, he's disconnected from God, feeling that, that, that he is not feeling, having the joy and the, and, and, and the excitement that he used to have. Notice he acknowledges his limitations geographically. He says, I am away from the temple. Right? Right? I'm up by Jordan. I'm up by Mount Mizar. I'm up by Hermon. These are places in the north. I'm physically separated from the place I want to be. I acknowledge my limitations. The beginning of the journey out of depression through the valley is to humbly confess to God my limitations. Now, you may be asking, well, I don't quite get that. Well, let me come at it another way. We all talk to ourselves. They often say, is, you know, the person that has the most influence on you is the person you listen to the most. Well, guess who you, you listen to the most? Yourself. You talk to yourself the most. Self talk, right? And part of that self talk, and particularly in these times of depression, Part of that self-talk many times involves a conversation that, involve, that includes one word. And it's, 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 for me, a marker word. It's a word that, that tells me that I am not accepting my limitations. And that word is the word should. Should. When I start saying should to myself, when I'm feeling bad, when I'm upset, when I'm starting to get negative and depressed, when I start using the word should, I realize... I'm using, I'm wrestling with things that are beyond my limitations. I should not have been treated this way. I should have got that promotion. I should have had someone be kind to me. They shouldn't do this. I should be better. I should be recovered. She should not have died. When we start using the word should, what we start doing is we start wrestling with things, trying to gain access to jurisdiction of things that are beyond our limitations. Because when we start discussing should, we talk about things in the past that we have no longer any control over. And when we start to begin to hold ourselves to should, it fuels the fire of depression. Depression and begins to put us in a negative tailspin because you cannot overcome should. It is beyond your control. Accept my limitations. Accept my limitations. Accept the fact that there are things that, though I'm feeling the effect of, I am not responsible for. In today's culture, we've seen a sharp rise of what can be described as perfectionism, particularly in young people. I mean, the numbers are astounding. Younger generation are feeling more and more pressure to be perfect. They have an expectation that society should be perfect. Should, remember? We, should, we, we shouldn't be treated this way. I should be able to get my dream job. I should be able to have my perfect partner for life in marriage. I shouldn't have to struggle financially. I should, I should, I should. So perfectionism is risen in terms of expectations on society. Perfectionism has risen in terms of expectations on those closest to us in our relationships, our family. We, we, we should have had this. We, we should have this kind of car and, and, and this kind of income. And we have an expectation of perfectionism with those around us. And then, of course, there's a rise in expectation on perfectionism to self. One of the researchers that was discussing this spike said, today's young people are competing with each other in order to meet societal pressures to succeed, and they feel that perfectionism is necessary in order to feel safe, socially connected, and of worth. I heard one person say, uh, "Young people, we used to tell our young people, you can do anything you want to do if you work hard enough. Nowadays, the line is, you can do anything you want to do if you work hard enough, and you should. Unfortunately, perfectionism, he says, can lead to anxiety, clinical depression, eating disorders, and other health issues. Here's the challenge. Let go of should and accept your limitations. Let go of should, and accept your limitations. Accept your limitations. Release the standard of perfection that you have created, that you hold everyone else to, including yourself. See, this is what really humility is all about. Humility is having an honest view of who you are the things that you can do and the things that you cannot do. Humility is not celebrating your failures and downplaying or poo-pooing your strengths. Oh, he's such a humble person because he's always talking badly about himself. No, that's not humility. Humility is to accept what you can do and what you are capable of and to also recognize there are things that you cannot do your limitations. That every one of us were born in a box. And as much as everyone's saying, you need to get out of the box, well, you can't. You're in the box. So live in the box. Accept the box. Give praise to God in the box. second thing I found in the psalm is that there was a great encouragement to do something that I call fill the tank. And by fill the tank, I mean make the commitment, the life commitment, to do what you know is best that fills you up. Now, this can be very hard to do when you're in the depths of depression. As one person said, when you're depressed, it's, it's a victory just to put your socks on. And so this is a habit that I think is important to be taken on throughout life, to do things that take care of yourself. Self-care, self-love, doing what's best for you. And that what's best for you is for your soul. Take care of your soul. What's your soul? Your soul is the sum of your parts. Take care of your brain health, your physical health. Your, your emotional health, your spiritual health. Why? Because we're spirit body beings. What you do to your body affects your soul. What affects your, your soul happens out in your body. Fill the tank. Make the decisions to do what is best. During a particularly difficult time, I was challenged with this. And the person I was listening to really put it well. He said, think about things that fill you and drain you. So I sat down with my wife, and I said, let's go through this conversation. Let's talk about fills and drains. It's a good thing to do with your your wife, your spouse. Uh, Fills and drains, here's the things that fill me, here's the things that drain me. And and she did the same, and it was good to see those things so we can help each other with fills and drains. But when we identified fills and drains, then we looked at our day-to-day activities and say, okay, what is my day filled with? Is it filled with more drains than fills? Was filled with more drains and fills. No wonder I'm feeling down. No wonder I am depressed. I need to make a conscious decision to invest in fills so that I will have reserves in the tank to deal with the inevitable drains of life. See, this is what we do. When the drains increase, what do we do? We stop putting in the fills because we're busy and we've got to take care of this. That is suicide. That's crazy. Begin your week by planning for the fills. What fills you? What lifts you up? Begin, I used to color code because that's kind of the person I am. I'm kind of weird that way. But I used to have a calendar where I would have green that was fills and reds that were drains, and then everything else was kind of neutral. And if I, I would plan my week and say, okay, in this season, I really need to concentrate on making sure I have the fills, things that... Lift me up, fill me up, because I know that this is a tough week. I am anticipating a lot lot of drains. And if drains come unexpectedly, then I will make the hard decision to say, i got to do some stuff that fills me up. But filling the tank helps to get through the season of depression. Now, this comes to you in different ways. Not too long ago, my wife was talking to me, She goes through these things where we're trying all sorts of crazy stuff. Anyway, um, we'll talk about that another day. Um, But she started telling me about my gut health. Hey, you got to make sure your gut health. I'm like, is this some kind of Kentucky witch doctor thing? Gut health. Well, it turns out she's right, as always. And it is Mother's Day, so I'll say that. She was right. Gut health. Research shows that the bacteria in your stomach has a direct correlation to things like your mood and depression and so on and so forth. If you have an unhealthy gut, there's plenty of nerve endings, you know, they say that the gut is like the second brain. One, one researcher said, you know, we think about brain chemical serotonin, which is good for sleeping. It's how, you know, get sleep and uh, we're able to uh, have appetite. That's that's a powerful brain chemical that we need to be aware of. Well, we think of serotonin for the brain, but the number one producer of serotonin is your gut. An unhealthy gut leads to low serotonin levels, which leads to unable to sleep. When you're unable to sleep, you start getting in bad ways. So when it comes to gut health, take care of your gut because it turns out it's not what you eat. More importantly, it's exactly how you digest that's the key. Third, and perhaps the most important, most powerful piece, what we see in the psalm is that uh, the psalmist encourages us to reframe perspective through connection with a trusted other. Reframe perspective through connection with a trusted other. See, the fuel of depression is isolation. The antidote for isolation is fellowship. Fellowship is a connection with a trusted other, to get in a place where we can be heard, where we can be listened to. God gave us the gift of listening, a gift that we can give to others and a gift that He gives to us. Carl Menninger said this, listening is a magnetic and strange thing, a creative force. The friends, oh friend, who listens to us are the ones we move toward, When we are listened to, it creates us, makes us unfold and expand. Listening is a magnetic and strange thing, a creative force. The friends who listen to us are the ones we move toward. When we are listened to, it creates us, makes us unfold and expand. The testimony of Psalm 42 is that the most trusted, the most competent, the most compassionate, the most grace-filled the most safe person to connect with, to listen to us, is God himself. Jesus came into the world as a Christmas present. His name is Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. The point is, is that what Jesus provides is the opportunity for God to be with us, to, be God, to, to walk with us in life, to carry us if he has to, through the valley of the shadow of death. And how does that happen? It happens when we connect with him, when we get to the point where we <laughs> confess that we are on, we can't do this, when we give ourselves to practices like prayer which connect us with him, practices by being still with him. Many times we may be just on the couch and unable to do other than, Lord, help me, help me. I'm letting go of everything that I can't control. I just want you to be there. And in that moment, in those times we connect with God and in connection with God, we affirm that he listens to us and that listening is a powerful and magnetic force unfolding us, creating us, helping us through the valley of the shadow. And God not only works In talking to us, he works by talking through others to us as well, a community of faith. That's why we encourage you during these seasons, seek out wise counsel. Not only do you need friends who will love you, friends who are safe in the community of faith, but there are folks who are skilled and gifted in providing you perspective that will alter your viewpoint on life to bring you through the valley. Counselors, 2006, I was at the end of my rope. It literally all came down to, I went to a conference, and this guy was talking, his, his, his message was dead leader running. And he talked about how he was out for a run, and next thing he knew, he was sitting on the corner of the road, weeping his eyes out, and he's like, what is going on? He just fell apart, and, and I related so much that I was crying listening to that. And I realized that's me. That's where I'm going. I'm a dead leader running, and I need to do something about it, and, and I, I need to make the changes, and I need to think about this fills and drains. I need to get help. And so I went to a counselor. six months of counseling. Entering into a conversation of connecting with my godly counselor as we connected with God, and in that conversation, a reframing of my perspective, a reframing of my perspective that helped me see, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, your presence, your power, they comfort me. Though I walk through depression, God with me, that's all I need. That's all I need. You see, God provides those whom we can open up to in listening. Part of our problem is that we carry too many secrets. How many of you can honestly say, it is well with my soul? I have no secrets. Maybe one person doesn't know everything, but everything about me is known by someone who is loved and trusted. Research shows that that the average person carries 13 secrets, five of which they've never told anyone else. It's a fact that those who are burdened by secrets have a view of the world. They actually feel physically many heavier, and they have a view of the world that's skewed to the negative, that distances seem longer to travel and slopes seem higher to climb up. Why? Because of the secrets they carry. Listening is a magnetic and strange thing, creative force. It is well with my soul. I have no secrets. That is the path through depression. God is available, He's available to hear from you. And the change of perspective will bring you through depression, it's a process of growth. And I think sometimes maybe God does lead us through the valley of the shadow of death to bring us to the place by which we might grow, change, become more the child he created to be. We have the honor and privilege to have uh, one of our own share her story of how this worked in her life. And I'm gonna ask that you would give your attention to the screens and just take a moment to hear how Sandy walked through the valley of the shadow with God.
1: Hi, I'm Sandy. And this is my story. My mother was in an automobile accident. The doctors told us at the hospital that there was no hope and that we should just let her go. But we couldn't do that. My father, my sister and I had to care for her for quite some time. Many times the doctors told us she is dying now. Uh, She lived for 10 years after the accident. And I don't know how many times they can say that, before it loses its power, its grip on you. I'd always been cheerful, upbeat, ready to work hard, and now suddenly I couldn't do much at all. I experienced depression. I was a young mother with two small children. and My husband's mother had passed away when the boys were only one. So I had no mother to turn to really. I couldn't have been very easy to live with. I couldn't see how much I was hurting all the people around me who loved me. I was angry at myself um, because I couldn't help my mother heal. I was angry at myself for not being a good enough wife. I was so angry at myself for not being totally present with my children at that time. And it was just so hard to think about ever forgiving myself and I think that's one of the hardest pieces of work to do in healing from depression is forgiving yourself and so I recognized that I was in need of help and I cried out to God from my couch saying if you want me off this couch you're going to have to get me off this couch but slowly progressively he sent me to counseling he put people around me who were a comfort. He even gave me alternative mothers uh, because while my mother was alive, I had lost her. She wasn't there for me. So he gave me mothering where he saw fit. The best way I can describe what depression is like is like being in a swimming pool and having a wool blanket thrown over your head. And the more that I struggled, it seemed like the Worse, my situation got. I tried to to just listen for God. What did He want me to do? And the the message was, relax, let go, and then you'll be free. And that's a hard thing to do. Depression is not an easy thing. It's not just that you're a little sad or a little down, um, but it's hopelessness. It's helplessness. It's a feeling of you did something wrong. And coming back from that was extremely challenging, but I did it all the while holding on to God's hand and recognizing that He wanted me to heal. He wanted me not only to heal, but to help others in similar pain. The ultimate result of that was I became a counselor. My long journey proved to me that not only that healing is possible, but that God is ever present in our lives, that he loves us, that he's always close, that he wants the very best for us, and that he will not abandon you even in your darkest hour. I'm Sandy, this is my story, and I have hope here as in heaven.
0: Our goal is to uh, provide hope and encouragement and blessing. I'm going to close by uh, asking that you would stand. I'm going to ask members of our prayer team to come forward. Also, i say if you want to fill in the blank, here's a bottom line challenge. Change, growth, coming through, occurs in community on purpose over time. Community with a trusted other on purpose. Fill the tank. Over time, it's a process. Be patient with yourself, step by step. We're going to pray. Chris and Alan, Luann, available here to pray with you if you would need prayer at this time. also remind you that uh, photo booths are out there. Get a picture with Mom. There's a gift there for you if you haven't grabbed one, Mom. Compliments of Malcolmo Christian Church. Also, if you would like to uh, pursue perhaps uh, options regarding your struggles, we have a table out there. We have some professional Christian licensed counselors who are there can give you some resources. If you'd like to talk to one in person at that time, just let them know, and there's a place where they can uh, go with you to talk in person. But they're there for a resource for work that goes beyond what we are doing in here. Uh, Take advantage of that. Talk to them about that. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord, for your word and how it comforts us. We pray that uh, we might uh, truly, as Sandy said, let go and relax and know that you're with us. Even the valley of the shadow of darkness, you will not abandon us nor leave us. Help us to trust that, to live in that. Find life that you give through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.